Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts Podcast, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Rachel Forbes. Rachel is a licensed therapist whose approach is holistic and mind-body incorporated with an intention of increasing self-awareness and self-leadership. Rachel also practices the modality of therapy called IFS, which is my jam and we'll be talking a lot about. Um, so Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being my guest. Um, I wanted to dedicate a little bit of time for you to, to be able to share your story. Uh, because you're a Korean American transracial and transcultural adoptee who is very passionate about adoption advocacy. So if you could, could you talk a little bit about that and kind of your story of, of how you got to here and to where you are today? Absolutely. And thank you so much again for having me here. I love IFS, so I'm really excited to share this with you and with your listeners. So Again, hi, I'm Rachel, and yes, I am a transracial and transcultural adoptee, which what that means is I was adopted from South Korea and adopted by a white Jewish family. So transracial, meaning I am of a different race than my adoptive parents, and transcultural, meaning I come from my culture of origin is different from that of my adoptive families. Um, and I think within adoption, um, there's a good amount of attachment trauma, what we call relinquishment trauma, meaning the severance of attachment between birth parent, birth mother, and child um, at the time of separation when the birth parent or birth mother is placing the child for adoption. And it has deep emotional impact um, and it has long-term consequences emotionally. And so I myself personally found that I struggled greatly with a lot in relationship to my identity, um, self-esteem, especially growing up in a predominantly white community. I struggled with my identity as a Korean American woman. Um, so I entered into therapy and it took quite some time for me to find the right therapist. Um, but finally, when I, you know, honestly, probably after seven years of trying to find the right fit, I finally met with an IFS therapist that completely transformed my life and totally shifted the way I got to know myself, particularly as a transracial adoptee, um, especially the part of me, um, that the baby part of me who was relinquished at three months old, I really got to develop an incredible relationship with that little baby in me. And I can really thank IFS for that. And I hope to be able to share that with other adoptees who struggle with the same trauma. So I feel passionate about it, not only within my community, but from my own personal experience. Wow. Um, I don't think that I've ever stopped to think about the uh, effects that adoption could have in the manner that you spoke about them. Um, is that something that is, I guess, on both sides? Well, you mentioned it was on your side, so I'm sure it would have to affect 
um, the mother as well. And I don't know if, do you have clients who have given their children up for adoption that you also um, work with? Um, so I have worked with a birth with birth mothers, yes. And something that we also identify within the community that I think is really powerful is that language holds significance. So when we say like a birth mother gives up their child for adoption, we try to say places them for adoption mostly because when we say like give up it almost has this connotation of you know she surrendered the baby in a way that you know without enough care or thought or mm. heart in that decision making so when we say place it's almost as if there's a little more ownership in what she had to go through of course there are many cases unfortunately in which birth parents didn't have much of a say which is also devastating a tragedy in and of itself but Yes, it's very true that birth parents, um, actually all members within the adoption story, so we're talking about adoptive parents, foster parents, birth parents, and the children, everyone has suffered some form of loss in the process. Um, and so it impacts everyone who's a participant of the entire process, all of whom are worth acknowledging. But I appreciate your naming that you know, perhaps you hadn't thought about adoption through this lens, because I do think it's true that we don't generally talk about adoption and or in the context of the trauma that exists within it. Oftentimes, the narrative is about its beauty and its gifts, some of which hold a lot of truth. But when we do that, oftentimes it feels dismissive of the inherent trauma that does exist and significant loss that does exist within the process that adoptees, birth parents, and adoptive parents can often carry throughout the lifetime. And so I think the adoptee community right now is speaking out really beautifully about the truth through that. Um, and we're hoping to bring more healing to the community and increasing awareness around that. So thanks for naming that. Well, thank you for your in-depth explanation, because like I said, not, not being um, aware of what comes with adoption on the, on both sides, you know, and then even the terminology saying um, placement instead of giving up, you know, the, those things matter. So, and I'm yeah. sure you being um, or, or having experienced adoption, you're, you're in a much better position to help your clients who you advocate for. So I, I'm, thank you for what you do and for the community that you serve. I'm sure you do a wonderful job. I try my best. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Sure, I think it is hard. There is definitely a scarcity of adoptee, particularly transracial and interracial, intercultural, transracial, transcultural adoptee therapists, um, in which sort of just like any life experience, right? it's hard to fully understand unless you've experienced it yourself. And that's true across the board for most life experiences. Right. It, it allows you to have that much deeper level of understanding. So. Right. Right. All right, Rachel. So you're ready to do this. You're ready to do IFS. <laughs> Let's dive in. Let's dive nice. in. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so of course the name of my podcast is not your ordinary parts, which is 100% based on my love affair with IFS. So 
um, a lot of people don't realize that at first. And then later they're like, oh, I get it. The parts and the parts work. So yes, indeed. Um, So big question. What is Mm -hmm. IFS? Hmm. Excellent question. Sorry, I took a sip right when you asked the question. (laughs) Um, So IFS stands for Internal Family Systems. And it was founded by Richard Schwartz, who actually was originally a family, a marriage and family um, therapist who operated largely from the family systems approach that acknowledged that varying family members can get stuck in these particular roles within the family system. Um, and the work is sort of to reevaluate those roles, trying to shift and find better ways to harmonize within the system. Um, if it's become dysfunctional, let's say. So what he discovered in working with individuals is that individuals themselves have their own internal family system within their own individual bodies and beings. And so the major belief in IFS is that we all have something called capital S self. That's our highest self. In other words, some might call it like our higher power, the divine within us, that which transcends. I've heard it, you know, described as a oneness, right? Or an isness. And in addition, oh, well, let me back up a tiny bit. Um, Capital S self has these eight qualities that all start with C. Let's pray that I can name all of them right here. (laughs) Um, But the eight qualities of self, and Jalan, perhaps you may be able to, to catch me where I fall if I do. I have them written down, so, but I, don't, I can't remember them off the top of my head. So Amazing. Thank you for your better preparation. <laughs> um, the capital S self has, um, is compassionate, calm, curious, courageous, creative, with clarity, connected, and confident. Boom. And then we, we did it. <laughs> and then we have these other parts of us, okay? And so these other parts, they're not, they're not um, all of who we are, but they certainly are connected to self. And these parts, they're actually almost like their own sacred beings. And these parts, they can be of different ages, they carry different life experience, they can have different roles. And while they are not all of us, they are connected to us. And so in this process, we're actually not here to get rid of any of these parts, but rather we're here to change our relationship with them. Um, And there are particular categories of parts that we might dive into, um, but there, there are ways for us to basically get to know them, to better understand how long have you been here? What is it that, you know, your job is? Um, what is it that you might need from me? And in this work, we're really here to strengthen our capital S self-leadership in which we can um, really help all parts of us feel safe, heard, understood, and sort of live harmoniously. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> makes perfect sense. And it just reminded me of when I, my very first time, um, kind of getting an explanation of what IFS was and it was just mind blowing. And I mean, every time I hear it, it's the same effect. I I love how we can get to our higher capital S self by fixing all of the internal parts that are kind of in disarray and giving them a voice. Um, So Mm -hmm. did a a wonderful job explaining. So let's talk about the parts. 
Um, yeah. What What are the parts? So I like to start off by just describing that there are two significant categories, right? We have protective parts and we also have exiled parts. Um, let's start with protective parts. So the protectors, these are parts of us that have developed incredibly brilliant adaptive ways for us to survive, to feel safe, um, and to feel secure. These part, these protectors, if you will, some examples might be um, a rageful part, um, a perfectionistic part. Um, a very high achieving part, even perhaps a critical part. Um, and these parts, while they may seem harmful or they may have harmful consequence at times, what we know about them is that their intentions are always very loving and their intentions are actually to keep the inner system safe by whatever means necessary, given what the person has been through. And protectors can actually be divided into these two categories, major categories. We have managing protectors and we have firefighting, firefighter protectors. Managing protectors are a little bit more proactive. They're really thoughtful and mindful about what's going to happen and oftentimes fearful of what's going to happen. So they think proactively about what can we do to best prevent something harmful from happening to, to this person. Firefighting, firefighter parts, they are more reactive, meaning they will respond. They're only, they don't really care too much about the consequences. Their only job is to put out the fire. So similar to a firefighter who like storms down the door um, knocks over any furniture that's necessary to just put that fire out, right? So when we're talking about reactive firefighting protectors, firefighter protectors, we're referring to parts that may engage in substance use, for example, um, addictive behaviors um, or addictive tendencies, um, and such as like gambling, sex addiction, um, they can also be, you know, for example, suicidal parts or self-harming parts. Um, and then we have the exiles. So the exiled parts, these are parts that have been essentially exiled from the system, either because these parts have carried such significant trauma and or harm that the system feels that they have to do whatever means necessary to ensure that these parts don't feel that pain again or that they don't completely overwhelm and take over the client, the person, um, by their excruciating, painful, agonizing feelings. Um, these are oftentimes feelings of like significant shame, um, low self-worth, um, feeling unlovable, unwanted, abandoned. Yeah, so we have exiles and protectors in very varying forms. <laughs> Okay. And I want to get into each one a little bit more as we go. Um, sure. But another question is, since we've established what parts are, um, can one part be created by the existence of other parts? Yes. Um, yes. So, for example, if let's say 
you were someone who was, as a child, heavily, heavily criticized by a parent, heavily shamed, told over and over again, you can't do anything right, there's something wrong with you, right? That shame gets internalized as like a belief about oneself. And in response to that, a decision gets made, right? Oh, since I'm inherently like a bad kid, I am going to make sure I do everything perfectly so that I don't, I'm not, I'm not bad, right? Or to prevent my parent from seeing me as a bad kid, right? So then a perfectionistic part might develop, for example. So sometimes protectors will develop in response, not sometimes, but protectors almost always develop in response to a traumatized, exiled part in order to protect that person from ever feeling those really painful feelings again, or from other people seeing that in that person, which would perhaps, let's say, um, result in them being rejected or ostracized from the family or from the community. So that's an example, but absolutely it can happen. It's it's weird to think that um, perfectionism is a trauma response, right? Because we always, I feel in, in our society, we look at people who are perfectionists and we kind of, you know, give them a, a thumbs up because they do things so good or so right. But it stems from a lack of possibly um, feeling like you can do anything right because maybe as a child you were told that you couldn't, or you had a parent who was very, you know, hypercritical, which is, mm -hmm. mm, it's, it's very deep, very, very deep. It is, it is. Okay, so what happens when, let's say a part becomes activated, like what some of the parts that you mentioned? So when we use the word activated, it could mean, there's a little bit of a spectrum of what that could mean. So if, you have practiced increasing your consciousness, your mindfulness of what's happening in your body. Okay, and perhaps I didn't mention this part, which is really key about IFS, is that the other belief, of course, is that these parts of us, they live in and, in and or around our bodies. So a lot of this work is not only identifying like the feeling on an intellectual level, but also tapping into the body to notice, so where do I carry this feeling in, our, in my body? So when we talk about activation, if you have practiced sort of consciousness and mindfulness of what's happening in your body, you may notice, let's say, if there's a rageful part, you may notice your, your palms getting a little bit sweaty, for example. You may notice some tension in or around your upper body that's when you notice a part might get activated. That means a part is feeling that particular feeling in that moment. Sometimes if it's hijacking the system or overwhelming the system, that's when it essentially takes the driver's seat. And that's when you know the rage comes out completely through your voice, through your energy, through um, you know how you react to another person. That's like really screaming and swearing at another person is when that's when a part has completely taken over, which is a little different from from just like, you know, noticing that it's activated, but the activation again, you know, runs on a spectrum. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and activation, of course, is associated with the nervous system. And let's say, for mm -hmm. instance, 
Um, oh, okay, so I, <clears throat> I have an example that I think about now that I know what activation is. And I remember I was in sixth grade and this was the first time I remember um, recognizing my nervous system, right? And we had just come back from summer break and we had to write a paper describing our summer. And I wrote mine, handed it in, and then the teacher picked like three of them and he read mine first. And I remember like, I got so nervous and like my heart started racing, mm -hmm. my palms started sweating. I had this like awful feeling in my gut and in my chest. And I said to myself, wow, that was, that was me getting activated. That was parts becoming activated. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which parts they were, but I mean, I could dive into that deeper later, but that is what I would associate activation with. And of course, like you said, there is a spectrum, but for somebody who doesn't understand activation it is when the nervous system basically comes alive because of a perceived threat or fear. Is that right? Exactly. That's exactly it. Exactly it. Something doesn't feel safe or right in the inner mm -hmm. system and the body will let you know. I once heard someone describe this as the body is bodily sensations are like portals into the emotional, which I thought was really beautiful. Well, that is a, a good explanation. Okay. So let's dive deeper into some of the parts that we spoke about already. Um, sure. You, you spoke about an exile. Can you, can you talk about what exactly is it is, how it's created and um, just anything else about it? Yeah. So exile parts, they really carry these burdens of beliefs about themselves and or the world around them. Excuse my voice. <clears throat> I'm still <laughs> recovering a tiny bit, um, but I'm here. I'm here. You're fine. Um, they, so they carry these burdens of beliefs, again, about themselves or the world around them. And when we say burdens, it's it really, they're usually what we would call, let's say, negative beliefs about themselves. Um, and they develop based upon, honestly, what the person has been through, most often based upon how people have reacted to them, how people have spoken to them, how communities have either, you know, included them or rejected them. Um, and they... That's the word I'm looking for. They really, really, they just, they just get, they get stuck in essence in those beliefs and in those feelings. And protectors work really, really hard to keep them safe, to keep them quiet in essence. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't quite work. Because these exiled parts, what they really need is they really need an empathic witness that's going to fully understand and feel what they have been through, what they've experienced. Because I actually once heard Peter Levine talk about trauma as less so the incident itself, but that something that happened to you in the absence of an empathic witness. And so these exiled parts. They carry this life experience, but in the absence of an empathic witness, really. 
And so while we can try really hard to either forget about it, move on, um, you know, do something differently, when we've experienced something so painful without, you know, unconditional loving empathy, it really remains in our bodies until and when we revisit them with that kind of capitalized self-energy, which is unconditionally loving and compassionate with no agenda, without judgment, just really listening and holding that space. So in order to unburden exiled parts, they really need capital S self-energy. Um, and what that can look like, honestly, is, you know, let's say you have a part that experienced, you know, I guess let's go back to the part we talked about who was heavily criticized by um, parents. We have a way to basically revisit that time period, um, not necessarily completely relive it, but revisit the feeling during that time period of what that was like, what that felt like when, let's say, mom or dad was yelling and saying those hurtful things. And we get to either invite in a more loving and compassionate, you know, the, the version of the parents that we really needed then, or we can bring our own self-energy to that inner child and hold that space and let that child know that what the parents were saying to them has nothing to do with them, for example. And that, you know, there are parts that, you know, parts of mom and dad that are very critical that have nothing to do with you and you're, you may have made a mistake, but you're still a really good kid. And so we get to revisit the feeling in the way that we really needed with those exiled parts. <clears throat> wow. Um, so a lot of times revisiting or, or accessing the exile has to do with accessing the feeling that caused that part based on what you just explained. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because right when I, I love that you said that because yes, while it is like the, the incident that happened, it's also, again, the experience of being alone in that with no empathy or unconditional love that was actually really needed in that moment. So yeah, it's so much of the feeling that we're revisiting. I think in, um, one of Richard Schwartz's books, he talks about it from a neurological perspective. It's like memory reconsolidation. We're revisiting neurologically the feeling associated with the memory in this work rather than changing the, the memory itself. So the memory you can't change because that is a real life life experience, but you can change how you feel about it, which in yes. turn could then maybe allow that part to retire, so to speak, from, from, okay, so the, the, that, the exile, I like to think of the exile as the initial wound, mm. not, not the event, but the reaction mm -hmm. to the event, right? So if we can, mm -hmm. we can't, we know we can't change the event, but if we can change how we feel about the event or how we think about the event, then that part would at some point have to move along and catch up to us. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And well, 
can you clarify a little bit what you mean by um, catch up to us? Well, in the sense that we're now healing and getting mm. to a, a, a getting in touch with self energy and and compassion mm-hmm. and self love. So if that part is now feeling those same things, it that that initial wound could start to heal, and that part would then heal as well. Yeah. So it's like, yes, we can, for example, take them out of a time period and bring them into the present with us, for example, in a space where we are fully present and in our capitalist self energy, if you will. Um, And sometimes what I've found is that, you know, if an exiled part isn't quite ready, to be with you in the present, there's a constant revisiting with that part, even in that time period, almost like you're building that, you're rebuilding that safety and trust with this part, um, which can take time, which can take some time. I always think of um, like uh, a scared animal that you have to build trust with. Cause it doesn't just happen right away. You know, it, it takes time. So some of those exile parts could maybe be like that to where you have to continue to build that trust. And then once the part can trust you, then the relationship can, can be different. Exactly. Exactly. And you go at their pace, right? It's sort of like, if you consider you've carried this part of you for so long, for decades, most often, And to within like a day of meeting them for them to all of a sudden feel safe is so rare. I mean, it can be such a relief for them to even experience and feel and receive some of that warmth. Um, But to fully feel safe, to feel fully seen and heard and for the unburdening process to happen, that can definitely take some time. And The beautiful thing that I think is really important to name about exiled is that they're not the burdens that they carry, right? So we're not talking about a shameful kid. We're talking about a kid who carries shame. Does that make sense? Who carries the belief that I'm a bad kid. And so when we help these exiled parts unburden some of those beliefs, we get to also then invite back in what they may have lost during that time period, but also who they truly are in their essence of being, which children are inherently just like self, right? Mm-hmm. Inherently curious, creative, playful. And they, you know, there are opportunities once they do feel safe to actually be who they truly are beneath the burden. Wow. That's wonderful to, to think of what could how that part could transform and, and to allow those things back in the things that are inherently supposed to be there. Like you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, with self, right. It's actually inherent. Nothing and no one can actually take that away from us. It's a matter though, of oftentimes life experience, you know, we can get, can layer up over that capital S self energy. And the, the work is really, getting to know all of these layers and parts. And as we get to know them from this self-led place, they soften back a bit. Yeah. Wow. That um, just feels good to, to hear that 
that it's possible. And even knowing what IFS is and, and actually doing it, it's still, it still is a good feeling because it, it's, it's very healing. It really is. And you do a, a wonderful job of explaining it too. So. Oh, thank you. I try. I'm trying. <laughs> no, you're doing <laughs> Thanks great. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we got through exiles. So can we get a little bit deeper on what a protector is and how protectors come about and what their job is? Yeah. And this is so much in the nervous system too, right? We're talking about the fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses um, that essentially try to keep us alive in these varying ways. Um, so I guess let's say with some managing protectors, for example, um, they're wonderful. They're so, <laughs> I love managing parts. They're really helpful. <laughs> I'm laughing because I have a good relationship with my managing parts. <laughs> um, but um, so, Protectors, you know, the managing parts, they're usually like very socially acceptable parts of us that are, you know, um, highly organized, for example. Again, we talked about perfectionistic. Um, they just like to ensure that everything is in order. Everything is working as planned. There isn't going to be too much chaos. Um, and they can sometimes be a little bit rigid also as a consequence because they oftentimes want to ensure that everything is under control. They're managing. Um, and so this can also be almost like a self-like part that says, oh, well, you know, everything's going to be okay. Don't you worry. We've got this all under control. You know, the part that sort of like eases and calms. Um, and while it may sound similar to self-energy because it's so loving, it's actually, it can actually be a self-like part that sort of wants to manage intensity of emotions, if you will. Um, and I think the other protective parts, the firefighting, the firefighter parts are the ones that we often talk about when we're talking about survival. Um, you know, even a suicidal part, for example, is something that in IFS we would identify as a firefighter, a protective part. While the consequence may be harmful, the belief is that, for example, suicidal parts, they are offering um, an out for the system when it feels like there's no other way. It's sort of a way to say, hey, since nothing else seems to be working, and I see how much agony and pain you're in. This is a way for us to, to be at peace, to finally be at peace. And it's painful to hear, I know. Um, but once we start to get to know, for example, a suicidal part or even a self-harming part that says, um, that can sometimes say, When the pain is too great, here, I'll give you this to distract you from that kind of pain and focus on this pain instead. Or this is a way for me to be able, for us to be able to control the pain that we didn't have control over before. When we start to get to know these firefighters from this perspective of understanding that their intentions are loving, they start to soften because they get so much 
flack from the external world, right? So oftentimes we panic when we hear suicidal parts and self-harming parts. We immediately want to hospitalize them, for example. Um, and on the inside, we have managing parts that say, oh, we got to get rid of that one. That one is bad. That one is negative, right? But unfortunately, you know, that oftentimes doesn't always work. And so when we start to work with some of these parts in a way of understanding their role, they actually do tend to soften back. And of course, we always want to ensure that clients and people are safe. And we do ensure that that happens. And sometimes we can work with managing parts to work alongside these firefighter parts. But um, a lot of this with protectors is slowly and lovingly trying to understand what their job is and what they're afraid will happen to the client if they weren't to offer this in the inner system. And once we understand that, we can start to understand then the exiles that they're protecting. And if the exiles are taken care of, then the protectors no longer feel that they have to work as hard to protect the client because they realize they're not alone inside in the inner system. Wow. Um, again, thank you. That was great. Um, you know, what's funny is that I'm, I'm thinking as you're speaking, like, I hope that anyone listening will, will now understand how the parts work and how the internal family system all works together. And then the funny thing is that, for so long, we've been saying things like, you know, man, there's just a part of me that doesn't feel good about that. Right. And, and that is essentially mm -hmm. the same parts that we're talking about. And people have been saying it and not even knowing that that part that they're speaking about is part of their internal family system. So it's almost been yeah. like hidden in plain sight. It's so true. And how often we're like nonchalantly saying, you know, part of me wants to go out, but a part of me wants to stay home and do nothing. Right. We are naturally multiplicitous in this way. Yeah. Indeed. So another question, can the parts be different ages? Absolutely. Absolutely. They can be truly anything. They can be inanimate. They can have varying genders. Um, they are definitely can be of varying ages. You know, you can have an infant part, you can have a toddler part, you can have a preteen part, you can have a teenage part, adult parts, ageless parts. Yeah. Is the inner child involved with the parts? And if so, how? Yeah, I would say rather than just inner child, um, sometimes you might find actually that there may be one significant time period that um, a client or person might be revisiting often that's more centralized around one inner child, but I've oftentimes found multiple inner children <laughs> of varying ages and carrying different experiences, um, different burdens um, based upon just different life experience. I've heard that before too, because there could be multiple events that created a part in childhood. So there, that creates various inner child parts. So yeah, that makes sense. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty amazing. It's wild, right? <laughs> it really is. It really is. 
So we touched on this a little bit, um, self. What is self? Like if we were explaining this to someone and they said, well, how do I understand, you know, I understand the parts, but like, what is self? I love this question. And I can't remember who named this. I've listened to so many things about IFS and read so many things about IFS. I can't always keep track of the original source of what I'm sharing from what I've learned. But one way in which I've heard this described, which I really appreciated, was actually, I think it was Derek Scott, um, who has a YouTube channel. I don't know if you know of him, but he's phenomenal. Um, he talks about, you know, think about if you were to see a child on the side of the street, lost, alone, crying, what's the initial instinct for you to do? Is to go over to that child and say, hey, where are your parents? Are you okay? Right? Or if you were to, for example, see like a, a wounded animal, that natural inclination to extend that warmth and compassion and curiosity about what's happened, how can I, how can I be here for you, is that capital S self energy. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a, a great explanation. I think anyone can resonate with that because we all know what it feels like to be in self energy when we have to extend ourselves to help someone in need. So I think that mm -hmm. took care of the question just by um, Absolutely. So what would you say the overall goal of IFS therapy is? I would say overall it's to sort of live, live in relationship and as harmoniously as possible with parts. By no means does this mean that we show up in the world, you know, flawlessly or without pain and challenges. It's that with each and every time you feel any of these feelings, right, you're able to meet them with curiosity and awareness, increased awareness and curiosity. And with that, you know, you're building trust within your own inner system. You're, you know, you're creating safety within your own nervous system. And consequently as well, it helps us to better extend compassion towards other people and their parts. And I think that there's this beautiful way in which we're individually creating harmony inside of our bodies, but we're also extending communal harmony when we do this as well. Um, so I think that the ultimate goal is just increasing harmony in all realms if possible. Mm, I like that. Um, so as a therapist, what is necessary to become an IFS practitioner? Um, so that's a great question. There are certifications for um, becoming IFS certified. Not all IFS practitioners though are certified and they can still be really amazing IFS practitioners. I would strongly recommend that if you were to, I mean, I think all of the courses anyhow incorporate your diving into your own inner world, but I think that doing IFS yourself with your own parts plays such a significant role in how you're able to help clients and other people get to know their own parts. It's one of those things where it's hard to just sort of like intellectually describe. You have to experience it too, to really feel and know what that feels like. Um, and I think it really helps with guidance 
when you're helping other clients sort of get to know their parts. So I would recommend for therapists to meet with an IFS therapist, get to know your parts. (laughs) (laughs) Great advice. What has been uh, your experience as an IFS therapist? Um, good question. What do you mean? Like with my parts or? No, no. Uh, with your clients, with your clients, helping them using IFS. Yeah. So I work so much with adoptees. Um, and again, I think that IFS is particularly powerful in this realm because What I found with a lot of adoptees, and I can't, of course, speak for all adoptees, but um, a lot of what I've both witnessed and experienced with my own parts is the struggle with sense of like belonging and sort of this perpetual feeling of um, being kind of alone because, you know, struggling with fully belonging in an adoptive family or community and not fully being able to return to culture and family of origins, struggling with making sense of that. Um, and so IFS has been an incredible, incredible way to hold space for that feeling and to bring just that self-energy and warmth that's needed that may not be able to be replicated Uh, necessarily in the external world. The other thing that IFS has really been powerful within my work is, again, meeting these parts at the time of relinquishment um, that have helped clients to reconnect also with their ancestors in a really powerful way, um, even if they don't know their biological families personally, there's a way to get to know them in this really meditative, beautiful way um, with understanding. I know we didn't get to get into this today, but ancestral burdens, um, especially that, you know, if you were adopted at birth, experiences that were carried in utero with birth parent, we get to revisit that in IFS, which is just incredibly, enormously powerful for adoptees. Um, so, yeah. (laughs) I, I didn't, I never made the correlation between IFS and like the, the ancestral burden, but those are parts that I'm sure need attention in a major way for someone who is carrying that burden, um, of placement, whether it's the adoptee or the, you know, the, the caregivers that had to place the, the child up for adoption. So. Yeah. Yeah. What we find is a lot of, for example, the passing down of shame that maybe birth parent carried or, mm. you know, fear um, that doesn't belong to the person, but was passed down without intending to do so. And so there's a way to return some of these, um, experiences, feelings, and beliefs from our ancestors, Um, and not just within adoption. Uh, Legacy burdens are a beautiful, powerful part of IFS that I would encourage any listener to take a look at. There are books about that, too. I can't recall the exact exact titles off the top of my head, but I'm sure if you do a Google search, it's there. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, I would think that one of the burdens that would be heavy would be shame and guilt 
Is is that true? Absolutely. Do you mean within adoption? Yes. Yeah, significant, significant. Yes. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. And to be perfectly to be a little bit transparent, um, because a lot of IFS, as we know, IFS the parts they they live inside of our bodies. There was actually a period of time where I did so much womb work within my own body because of the guilt that I was carrying in that part of my body that belonged to it was actually like guilt and just deep sadness that I was carrying that belonged to my birth mother. Um, and so that was really, really powerful to unburden from that part of my body. And interestingly enough, that was actually when I conceived my my daughter so oh, when wow. I was doing that womb work, which just felt really powerful. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, okay, so because of some of the shame or guilt or even the experience that you spoke about, um, like not fitting into your community when when you were you know younger because you were a different race, a different culture, all of these things. Um, has that carried over into um, being a therapist, into your practice at all, feeling maybe like that same cultural disconnect in any way? Yeah, meaning like with my clients, for them, you know, if I'm working with other transracial, transcultural adoptees. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a, a strange experience. Um, and it requires a lot of work too. It's actually amazing timing right now because we're the Lunar New Year is tomorrow. Um, and it's actually an incredible opportunity through IFS to reconnect again with like your lineage, your culture of origin. Um, if you are a transnational, transcultural adoptee, um, which is work, it's work because it's like foreign, but somehow lives in your blood and you're having to relearn it, like relearn it or learn it for the very first time. It's a very interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very grateful for your amazing explanation of such a wonderful and powerful modality, which is interfamily systems, internal family systems, IFS. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. If you could use your platform to encourage anyone who may be struggling with um, feeling unsure about speaking to someone about their feelings or their emotions or, or just anything that they may need to speak to a therapist or a mental health professional about, what would you say to them to, to help them with their struggling with their feelings or emotions? Firstly, I would say, I really get that. I really get that. Um, it's such a vulnerable thing to do, especially if it's never felt safe to do before. And so I really get the parts that are concerned and worried about that. And like I said in the beginning, you know, it took me seven years, around seven years to really find the right fit. And I think that that's really key is shop around, honestly, 
It's like dating, right? You, you shop around, you meet with a therapist just for a consultation, chat with them a bit. You can feel out the vibe, see whether or not you feel like, you know, even energetically you connect with them. And you don't have to stick with the person you meet first. There's no obligation there. Therapists should generally very much understand that that's really key. And if it's not the right fit, it's not personal. It's just about what you need. And when you find the right fit, you'll feel it. There will be a sense of calm, a sense of sort of curiosity that maybe this person might be willing and able to understand or hear me. Um, and that trust gets built, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but if there's a little bit of curiosity and openness and, you know, a desire, of course, for things to be a little bit different, shop around, see how it feels and give it a little bit of time. Um, and trust that you really know what feels right. But shop around <laughs> until it <laughs> feels right. That's good advice. Um, I I'm really grateful that you agreed to do this with me because of my passion for IFS, and I think you did a wonderful job in explaining it. And um, I just want to say thank you, thank you for your time, and and for doing this with me. Thank you so much for having me. I know I said this to you many times, but it's such an honor to be here with you. I'm so grateful for what you're offering to the community, just for the broader community, not just IFS enthusiasts, but also just for anyone who's looking for healing, um, different modalities for healing. I think community building is so key. And like I said to you before, not everyone can do that. So thank you for this gift. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Received. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, can, where can people find you online and uh, social media? If they wanted to, to like follow you or see your content. Yeah. Um, I could be posting more. <laughs> um, but my <laughs> Instagram handle is rachelforbes.lcsw. So that's R-A-C-H-E-L-F-O-R-B-E-S dot L-C-S-W. Um, and I have a website, ForbesPsychotherapy.com. So you can find me there. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, again, Rachel, this has been such an honor and a pleasure and such a wonderful topic to, to spend time uh, with you explaining and, and diving into. So thank you so, so much for, again, doing this with me and for who you are and what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs>